you know, I always think, oh, I'd love a surprise party. And then I think, well, hold on a minute, then I wouldn't get to anticipate it. So maybe the best thing for someone would be to tell me I'm going to have a surprise party, but not tell me when they're going to surprise me. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Indian Cast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we come to type number seven, the enthusiast. The party people. <laughs> I was going to say party planning committee, but we've since been corrected that sevens don't plan parties, they just attend them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, just a reminder if you've not yet listened to the episode for type number seven from season number one, we want to encourage you to go back and check that out. It's going to help just set the foundation for this episode. So uh, let's review real quick uh, about type sevens. So when these folks are resourceful, they are curious, they are highly enthusiastic, they're playful, and they're lighthearted. Yeah. And when they're non-resourceful, sevens can be scared of commitment. They can be unreliable and irresponsible in their friendships and relationships. They try to avoid pain at any cost, and they're the most vulnerable to becoming addicts. So this season, we're asking the question, how can I change? And before we move on to the good news, it's important that we first understand the bad news. So here for our favorite segment is Sam Stevenson with the bad news. Hello, everyone. It's me. So the bad news is that those in the head triad, like our beloved seven, struggle with the issue of fear. And for the seven, fear gives birth to the deadly sin of gluttony. So let's talk about the top three particular ways that this deadly sin of gluttony can manifest itself for type sevens. And we're going to call these the three problems. Okay, so problem number one, escaping pain by emphasizing pleasure. So this means that the seven just they fixate on pleasure. And really, it's pleasure as a form of escapism. Mm. It's really about I'm experiencing something that's really hard or really uncomfortable and or I feel anxious or I feel uncertain or I feel scared. And so I need to find something pleasurable as fast as possible. It could be a substance. It could be food. Uh, but it also could be something simple like a lighthearted joke, or sometimes it could be, you know, a tragic scenario getting rest up, dressed up in like religious language, like, oh, well, it's all for the better because God's good. Like, it's just as fast as possible. I need to find something pleasurable. Yeah. Sevens have this like unique tendency to find a silver lining in almost every type of scenario. So they're really good at spiritualizing a painful experience and and focusing on the good, you know, they put their functional hope into finding something pleasurable or desirable as a savior to be alleviated from that pain instead of actually embracing the pain and identifying with Jesus in times of suffering and then being able to be healed and redeemed through that. So that was problem one. Problem two, mistaking lack of boundaries as a form of love. So this is an issue of indulgence. Excessive intake of something beyond what is helpful or good can be a real problem and a real tendency for the seven. So uh, sevens desire freedom from limits, but limitations and boundaries are actually helpful. Yeah. And what this is, is this is really uh, the seven's belief that the best way to enjoy life is to not have any boundaries or restraints 
put on me. And so this comes with the false belief that love means being never told no or being told to stop or being told that you're wrong. Okay, problem number three, fixating on the future so that you don't have to deal with the present. So sevens, uh, a common problem that they struggle with is just living for the future, dreaming about the future, using fantasy and daydreaming as a way to escape from the tension of daily life. Yeah, and I think that causes the seven to be restless for what is next at the expense of being present to whatever's happening with them in the moment. So the good news is this, is that for sevens, God does not leave you where you are, but he invites you into your true self in Christ. And you guys are in the head triad. You are struggling with the issue of fear. Well, what is the remedy for fear? It is God's presence. It is knowing that the Lord is ever present with you in all circumstances at all times. And as you experience God's presence, you can begin to believe that God has not abandoned you, that he's not deprived you. A seven has to receive the fulfilling, satisfying presence of God because only God can truly relieve your fear. And if a seven can truly accept and believe that God is always with you in abundance, then your fear will heal and you can move from a posture of gluttony to sobriety. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So let's explore what living a life of sober-mindedness looks like for the seven. So now we're going to take those three primary ways that the deadly sin manifests itself for this type. And now we're going to explore specific ways that God invites us out of our false self and into our true self in Christ. So we're going to look at each problem again and then offer solutions for that problem. Just to note here, we've adapted a large portion of our teaching from Beatrice Chestnut's The Complete Enneagram, but we've infused it with Christian theology. And there's probably going to be way more tips than you could ever memorize. So just Pick a couple, pick one or two that you're going to focus on, and then as you're ready, just come back and revisit this list. Okay, so Sam, where do we start? We start back at problem number one, escaping pain by emphasizing pleasure. So the first solution for this problem is notice how living only for pleasure actually brings pain. You know, I think that that's just a really huge demand to put on life. Always make me feel good. No, you know, good vibes only, nothing bad, no bad days, you know, or whatever. Inevitably, life will just let you down. And so the bigger gap between your expectations and your experience, the more painful the fall will be. So just a note here, Sevens, just be realistic, be sober minded in your expectations and be fair in what you're asking life to give you. Yeah, pleasure is a cruel idol because it's going to ask you to sacrifice a lot to it. And the more that you're willing to sacrifice the important things in life for pleasure, the more that you're going to find yourself in a place of danger. And even the pleasure that you experience, if it's put before God and before relationships, including your relationship with yourself, it is only going to lead to more pain and more hopelessness. Okay, the second solution is learn the difference between momentary pleasure and lasting pleasure. Life is filled with momentary pleasure, good things, things that are enjoyable, But it's fleeting. If we're always just chasing after each momentary pleasure, one after the next, after the next, after the next, it's going to be painful and hurtful and harmful to us as people. We have to figure out the difference between, oh, this is a momentary pleasure. Okay, no, wait, this is a big and important long-term pleasure. Mm, I think that's good. Yeah, sevens, lean into the the fruit of the spirit of self-control. You know, there's, there is good and beauty that can come from giving up something quick that's satisfying to sacrifice and to experience the long term, something that can be even more satisfying. Finally, the third solution is learn how pleasure and pain can actually work together. Many things in life are pleasurable, but ultimately bring us pain, you know, like 
things that feel good in the moment but actually have really bad consequences, like whether it's too much eating or too much excessive fun or luxury or... Or you have a little bit to drink and then you just keep on drinking and you keep on drinking. Or you're like, I want a little bit of sleep. And then all of a sudden you've slept more than half of your life away. Like there is an ability to have way too much. I mean, spending. I want to spend, I want to buy something for myself. Well, then you're buying something for yourself every single day. You know, you get into this excessive stuff. So, you know, Mm -hmm. and the flip side is this. There's a lot of things in life that are really painful but they lead to such good things. Yeah. You know, you think about like a mother giving birth to a child. You think about a student graduating. Uh, you think about that time that like you hit your goal weight on the scale. I mean, the biggest one for us as Christian is the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, he went through the cross, but ultimately that's how he beat death and changed all of human history. So we have to get to a place where we see value and pain. And as Christians, like we believe that death leads to new life. Okay, so those are some solutions for problem number one. Let's talk about problem number two. Problem number two is mistaking lack of boundaries as a form of love. So the first solution is expect to feel anxious when you're living sober. Uh, The reality is, is that you have probably spent a fair amount of time chasing after escapism, chasing after, you know, a lack of boundaries. You want to push boundaries all the time. And so all of a sudden... When you're trying to live more sober-minded, you're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel awkward. It's going to feel unusual to you. Expect that you're going to probably be pretty sensitive to it for a while. You're building up muscle. You're building up new strength and new resistance towards these anxious feelings because you're confronting them. And those are good signs, but don't be surprised when you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's normal to feel anxious because you're no longer seeking to be stimulated or satisfied. So there's going to be this moment of of boredom that sets in and then maybe the boredom is what leads to anxiety, but stick with the boredom because it's normal. It's okay. And it's not wrong. It just might be a little bit more uncomfortable than what you're used to. So don't let fear drive you back into your cave. Don't let fear drive you toward the thing that you are trying to, to live sober from, you know, try to live free with the freedom that we have available in Christ. The second solution is recognize that pleasure is not a synonym for love. Yeah. So guys, just learn the difference between love and pleasure. Yes, pleasure is a gift from God and it is used to enhance our relationship with him and other people and and experiences. But for sevens, pleasure wants you to believe that it's better than love by promising something that it can never give you. So just take a moment here, a thought experiment. Look back at your life. Has pleasure and seeking those thrills ever given you something but removed all pain permanently? Pleasure has the tendency just to be fleeting. You know, it kind of comes and goes like the wind, but love is full of commitment, dedication, affection, and sometimes it's hard to endure. Love is not always the same thing as like what romantic comedies would want us to believe. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. And I think too, you know, this is a, a good reminder of like the lie of addictions is that they try to replace your primary relationships. You know, in healthy life, the way that it works is that when we struggle with things or when we go through things, whether it's like I'm having a great, amazing high or I'm having a really low low, I turn to my closest friends for support or I turn to my closest friends to celebrate. But addiction comes along and addiction says, turn to me. So addiction says, celebrate with me. And addiction says, cope with me. So we have to get to where we understand like pleasure is not a replacement for love. Like you need those substantial relationships in life. Okay, finally, the third solution is ask people around you to help you get an accurate picture. You know, sevens have incredible abilities to 
fantasize. Like they have incredible imaginations. And because of that, indulgence feels sometimes kind of natural to them. Mm. And for many sevens, like there's like the saying, like too much is almost enough. Yeah. Treat yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Treat yourself. So (laughs) so learn to ask your friends for their advice. Do you think I should buy this? Do you think I'm going overboard with this thing? If you were me, what would you do? Do you think that my response is healthy? Yeah, I think it's important to ask others how they stay connected to God while also enjoying the gifts he gives us. Because I think sevens, you guys are really good at seeing gifts and then like wanting more and more and more and more. So it's hard to be satisfied in Christ. So really lean on your brothers and sisters to ask them like, hey, like how do you practice contentment and maybe take some notes from them? Okay, so that was problem two. Let's move on to problem three. So problem three is fixating on the future so you don't have to deal with the present. The first solution for this problem is to take note of when you mentally leave whatever's happening now. Ask yourself, like, why do you want to escape whatever's happening now? Like, were you just bored? Were you sad? Did it remind you of something? What's going on? What's the what's the real reason for that for that seeking outward that you're doing? Yeah, if you catch yourself daydreaming, almost consider that like a trigger. Like, hold on, I'm daydreaming right now. Why am I daydreaming? What happened that that made me really want to escape this moment? You know, was something painful to me? Was there something that scared me? Okay, the second solution is learn to be okay with discomfort. We don't want our seven friends to miss out on the fullness of life. And part of having a full experience of life is that we have to experience some things that are hard and uncomfortable. And constantly living in the future and what if allows sevens to stay comfortable. So sevens, you guys have got to build a tolerance for uncomfortable emotions and experiences so that you won't immediately want to escape every uncomfortable situation that you come into. And doing this and growing this capacity, it's going to help you be a better friend, a better parent, a better spouse. Yeah, I think it's important for you to practice this because whenever pain hits your life, if, if you're not sitting in that, then your friends can't uh, minister to you in that space. They can't be there for you if you're never acknowledging that there are bad things happening. And in the same way, if your friends are going through something difficult and you're never around because you that painful moment's too hard for you, your friendship is going to suffer as a result. So pain is actually a connective force. It brings us together. It's one of those shared experiences that will that will strengthen a community if you can learn to embrace both the pain in your life and the pain in your the lives of those around you. I think one other thing I would add too is I think it's important that for us as Christians, like we remember there is something mysterious and wonderful about joining in the sufferings of Christ. And sevens are really at risk of missing out on that. You know, anytime a community endures a mutual loss together, it really bonds that community together. Mm-hmm. And for a seven to pretend as though it's not as painful as it is, they miss out on that deep bond. And that's the kind of invitation that Christ is giving to us, that when we suffer, we join in the sufferings of Christ and we're bonded to him. There's a relational bond that can only take place through suffering. It can't take place through only pleasure. That's good. Okay, so that was the second solution. Finally, the third solution is see the present as an adventure. Guys, this one's easy. The modern Enneagram puts it this way. They suggest to commit to doing one activity for a set period of time, to pick something that has meaning for you. And if you start thinking about other possibilities along the way, remind yourself of why you chose this activity and stick with it. Yeah, it reminds me back in season one, you know, we interviewed Jonah Sage and Jonah made the commitment that for one year, he was not going to start any new projects or new endeavors. And like... He talked about like how hard those first few months were. Like yeah, that it I can't was, even imagine. It was really, really difficult for him. 
But you spend time with Jonah now and like you can tell the difference. Like mm-hmm. he is a different person as a result of taking a year and really going, okay, I'm not going to, you know, sit around and fantasize all the time. And I, you know, I know that for sevens are going a year, like, so don't do a year. Like, you know, take a short amount of time. Go like, hey, for the next for the next week, I'm really going to focus on seeing the present as an adventure. Mm-hmm. Like right now in this moment. Yeah, there's something really unique about sevens that when you all put your mind to something, like you have the most commitment to an idea that anybody that I've ever seen. Like the friends that I have that are sevens, like with Jonah, like when you set your mind on something, you're really good at, at remaining focused and committed to that thing. So sevens lean into that like pick a gift pick a hobby that you want to try out and and stick with it because it's it's a gift that you have and it'll be really inspiring to those around you well speaking of being inspiring to those around you when we come back we're going to be talking with author and speaker nikki hardy so stay with us So I think a lot of times like we as Christians believe that uh, we can just kind of stand at a distance and just look at things and evaluate them and that we're going to experience God through that. Yeah, you know? we have like all of this head knowledge or all of the scripture memorization and we believe that that's going to be the only way in which God meets us. Yeah, and I don't think we're alone in that. So this is actually from Andrew Justice. He is an electrical engineer and served for a year with Love That Neighborhood. You grow up in the church and you hear all these things like, about how people experience God and how people in the Bible experience God. And it doesn't match my experience. And so, yeah, I guess I guess this year of LTN, it pushed me into a lot of really uncomfortable situations, a lot of really difficult situations. But in the end, these situations were also the ones where me and my teammates probably experienced God the most. So if you are like Andrew and you find yourself thinking, where's God? We want to invite you. Come and serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. You can join us for either a summer or a year. So go online to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. And welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Nikki Hardy. Nikki is an author and speaker who talks with audiences about how to grab the most out of life no matter the circumstances. Nikki is also a cancer survivor who lives by the saying, life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. And also, Nikki is a type 7 on the Enneagram. So welcome to the show, Nikki. Hi. We are so glad to have you. We're excited to talk with you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let me let me ask you this question. You know, what what aspect of God's character do you feel like sevens really represent to the world? Oh, gosh. I think God is um, a God of endless possibilities and creativity. And we just need to look around at creation. And when I do, I see the joy and the delight he must have taken when he he created the world. You know, there's some crazy weird stuff out there, some weird animals and fish <laughs> yeah, right. that live at the depths of the ocean. You know, there are bizarre... Well, and people. And, and there's people. some weird people, too. Yes. <laughs> you know, birds with the most hilarious, you know, mating dances. And there's just a kind of fun, joyous, creative levity that um, when I look around God's creation, I see all that. And I, I just love that. Um, okay, sorry, I was just thinking about all the magical creations. <laughs> yeah, Sam got a little distracted. She was thinking about um, she was thinking about all the nature documentaries she wanted to go the, watch. The bird videos. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what about the sevens? Do you just enjoy the most? You know, do you have other friends that are sevens? Like, what is it about uh, this energy that you really just are excited about? Um, 
I do have a few friends that are sevens and I just love the general feel of optimism and possibility, the openness to new things and to change, um, the seeing the lighthearted and the positive side of life and, you know, not taking life too seriously because life can be terribly serious. And so I think it's always nice to have a bit of levity thrown in there. Um, but I do love anticipation. Um, you know, I always think, oh, I'd love a surprise party. And then I think, well, hold on a minute, then I wouldn't get to anticipate it. So maybe the best thing for someone would be to tell me I'm going to have a surprise party, but not tell me when they're going to surprise me. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is, I feel like every seven's dream is knowing they're going to be surprised so they can both live in the suspense of the moment approaching and then when it actually happens, the like double joy of having a surprise party. Exactly, exactly. So not to just switch gears so quickly and to, you know, move us out of the the joyful celebration side and, and already into the serious stuff. But the season is about how we can change. And of course, we know that we don't need to change the things that about us that are good. We only need to change things that are problems. So with that, the struggle of gluttony is uh, the core sin for the seven. So for you, you know, where do you think the struggle comes from and how do you know when you're when you're experiencing that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, when I was learning about the Enneagram and was like, you know, the deadly sin of gluttony, I was thinking, well, I'm not gluttonous. But, mm -hmm. you know, as I dived in, um, you know, I really see it as this negative emotion avoidance tactic, you know, which on the one hand is genius, you know, it's the tortoise shell we can retreat into. But, you know, when we're inside our tortoise shell, we don't really experience life in all its fullness as God meant it to be. And I think for me, it comes from this kind of um, trying to avoid the negative experience or a loss or even just boredom. And so I try and in, in its place, try and consume like a positive experience or stimulating ideas or material things. And I'm trying to fend off the pain or the emotion or the memory or some sort of deprivation or boredom, even if I don't know I'm actually feeling those things <laughs> if that makes mm. if that makes sense so I'm kind of trying to numb them I guess or avoid them in some ways and I, for me I know I'm falling into that when I feel this urge to kind of get out and go it's this kind of trying to break free from a cage and it sounds quite dramatic. It's not. Um, it's not quite that dramatic, but it's this feeling of forward momentum because I think inside I'm feeling hemmed in by these emotions that I don't want to experience. So I'll head out to the shops or to to run trails with the dogs or to meet friends. But I'll do something to um, to remove myself from the here and now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so you just articulated, you know, the first problem we talked about that seven struggle with is escaping pain by emphasizing pleasure, you know, and that's mm. that's a lot of what you just talked about. And then, you know, the invitation from God for sevens is into a life of sober mindedness, you know, not that life can't be fun or enjoyable, but like just a more grounded view of reality. Mm. Um, you know, of the of the three solutions we were talking about earlier, you know, is there one that you've put to use in your life? And if so, like, what's that been like for you? For me, um, the solution that works best for me is the third solution, seeing how pleasure and pain work together and really getting my head around the kind of, well, there's no 
gain without pain. There's no no pain, no gain. This kind of mm-hmm. right. my husband Al is he's a three, and he is really great at kind of chipping away at big projects. Oh, I see the mountain. He sees just all the minute steps that it will take to get to the top. Whereas I see the size of the mountain and want to just run away. Um, <laughs> and so yeah. I've started trying to break da- things down into smaller goals, setting rewards and fun things along the way. And, you know, really this mantra of mine that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full, you know, being um, more aware and willing to sit in the uncomfortable and learning to see the beauty of Sunday and the resurrection is only experienced in all its fullness if we are willing to go through the death and the the waiting of Friday and Saturday. What helped you, I guess, in life? Uh, we mentioned earlier that you are a cancer survivor. So was it just that process that, you know, embracing pain you you seem like you've you've learned that pain is an important part of growth in in life. Has that always been true for you, or what what kind of happened? Um, it hasn't always been that way. I have definitely been more of a um, let's just avoid it and ignore it, and then it it will go away kind of person. I think having cancer, and I had cancer on the heels of losing both my mom and sister to cancer. So my mom died of aggressive lung cancer. And then six years later, my sister died of the same disease. And then six weeks later, I was diagnosed. And mine wasn't lung cancer like theirs. Mine was rectal cancer. And, you know, I'm going to do a typical seven thing here and make light of it, you know, and say that it was not sexy and doesn't come with a pretty pink bow. But, you know, I think that experience and writing about it and sharing about it has really helped me to dive into the the pain and the loss and the grief of it because otherwise we end up with christian platitudes if and if we get- like like people saying like everything happens for a yes. reason or god's not going to give you more than oh, you can handle oh my goodness or- yes and you know god wanted yeah. another angel and not only are most of these things absolute nonsense and theological rubbish but they're just not helpful and they often leave the person in pain um, feeling worse about themselves and, you know, that they're not a proper Christian or God doesn't love them or something like this. And so I think if we're going to offer true hope, we have to be willing to enter into the pain. So, yes, I think that the cancer has be- definitely been a, a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, problem number two is mistaking lack of boundaries as a form of love. So does that resonate with you? Where do you see that show up? For you in your life? For me, having freedom, and it's not necessarily, well, I just, you know, I want an open marriage or anything like that. It's right, like, right. just right. don't tell me what I can't do. Most of the things I say, oh, wouldn't it be great if I, I would never end up doing them or want to do them, but I want the possibility of dreaming. And I think um, putting yeah. boundaries on that dream and possibility and hope is a form of not loving me well. Is it a visceral kind of reaction when you feel like you're told no on something or, hey, we're not going to do that? Or, you know, when you when you have people around you starting to set boundaries and limits, is that painful? Is like, is that a hard experience? Sometimes, yes. You know, we lead a church and, you know, church has has had to take priority over a lot of things. And 
I can find myself getting um, resentful or bitter when church has curtailed things that I would want to do. Or, you know, we have friends that travel a lot or can just up sticks and go. And I'm like, well, we can't because Sundays keep on coming around. Um, And so I think it's useful to be honest about that. But equally, I think it's been good for me as well. And my husband's very good at calling me out when I'm like, oh, you know, oh, no, we can't do this. Or I wish we could have done that. And he's like, well, no, this is what we're called to. And I'm like, I know, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So one of the solutions that we mentioned, are you hoping and trying or striving to put to use more in your life? You know, more and more of my friends are becoming Enneagram um, aware and, you know, talking the talk, if you like. And so having friends that are um, more proficient in the Enneagram now, we all have this common language. And I think being able to say to them, you know, is this healthy or is this my kind of Energizer Bunny 7 dreaming too wildly? Can you rein me in? I think now that we have a language that um, that kind of thing doesn't sound weird, um, I think that'll be really helpful. And I keep trying to go back to um, looking for God's love in the boundaries that he gave us. You know, I once heard an English pastor, Steve Chalk, say that, you know, there aren't any don'ts in the Bible you know, and we always think the Bible is full of don't do this, don't do that. And actually, he was saying that God didn't say don't. God said, don't. It's more this, don't do this, because when you do, you will get hurt. And I love you so much that I don't want you to feel the pain of the consequences of that action. And so it's it's a love in action boundary and trying to remember that, um, that God, God's love is, is made of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's talk about problem number three. So problem number three is fixating on the future so you don't have to deal with the present. Does that resonate with you at all? Oh, yes. <laughs> I think this is my, my biggie. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big, what if we did this? Or can you imagine if I live in a lovely house, but I'm often thinking, well, what if we moved? I could switch out the old Ikea sofa and the, you know, den and I could do this. And, you know, when we go to the mountains, I'm like, what if we sold everything down to our last teaspoon? We could buy acres in rural North Carolina and run a retreat center. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my latest is I can't get a good cup of tea at Starbucks or anywhere else. I'm like, I need to open a tea shop. And I'm like, I don't need to go opening a tea shop. That's the last thing I need to be doing. But there's kind of, I mean, there's, there's wonderful things that happen in future fantasizing and what ifs and dreams, you know, that's where a lot of innovation and uh, groundbreaking stuff happens. But if it's purely an avoidance tactic, it's not going to, you know, produce wonderful things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Does the present moment feel like to be present in the moment, does that feel risky to you? Is there fear associated with being in the present? Yeah, I think it can feel risky depending on what's going on. But I'm learning ever so slowly to embrace the risk and embrace what's going on. And, and I've learned that I don't actually need to be able to articulate the emotion. 
and, you know, give it a name. I often say to my husband, who's very emotionally articulate, you know, I wouldn't know an emotion if it came up and introduced itself. I just know what my body <laughs> is doing. You know, I, yeah. I don't yeah. know what this emotion is, but I know I want to hit something or I know I want to scream or I know I want to cry. Um, and even then I'm not always that in tune, but I'm learning to, to embrace the present often by flipping the script in, in my book. Um, I talk about a woman called Kristen, who's a triple amputee and she's got four children (laughs) and she talks about flipping the script. And rather than saying, I have to do laundry, you know, she talks about, well, I get to do laundry because I have four wonderful children. I have, you know, a washing machine that will do the wash for me. And um, we have enough water (laughs) available, you know, and it's an attitude of gratitude and, um, you know, really trying to, to flip the script in that way and think of today as an adventure as well. That's, that's helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, when is your book due out? It's out in August, but it's available to pre-order on Amazon right now. I haven't really talked much about it, so um, I need to get out and start sharing it. But it's called Breathe Again, How to Live Well When Life Falls Apart. When I went through cancer, there was lots of memoirs out there that were terribly inspiring. And there were devotions that encouraged me to trust God. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And then I was like, nope, I'm still angry at you. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, there were theological books that were just too weighty for me to manage in the midst of my cancer. So this was kind of the practical book that I needed when my life fell apart. And I just hope it's helpful to others too. Well, let me let me ask you about this. Um, this is our, our last question. Uh, our conviction is that the antidote to fear, so fear is the thing that drives sevens, and our belief is that the antidote to fear is God's presence. So my question is for you, like, how does God's presence impact you personally? I've learned and I'm learning that God is present in the hard stuff, and I think I used to believe that it was one or the other, that I could either have... God's presence or hard stuff, you know, that that they couldn't simultaneously coexist. And I think having been through what I've been through, there were moments when I felt fear and peace all at the same time. Um, You know, and I, for ages, I thought, well, you know, goodness, God, you know, I've done so much for you. Why, why have I got cancer? You know, I've moved my family across the world. I've given up so much you know, are you mad at me? And I, and I kept having to ask, why do I think that? And I kept asking why and why and so, and, you know, and I realized that at the end of the kind of rabbit trail, I believed that I had to earn God's love. And for a pastor's wife who is passionate about God's grace, I was like, wow, I, there, somewhere there's that nugget of a lie, a root of, so leaning into the love has really has really helped dispel those lies and the the fear I think is bred out of those lies that we believe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, beautiful. That's yeah, thank you for sharing. Well, you filling up for a game? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay. Well, when we come back, we will be playing. You've got problems with Nikki Hardy. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're talking about type number seven, the enthusiast. And one of the downsides of the enthusiast is that sometimes they can consume without thinking of the consequences. 
Well, what happens when that happens on a mass scale to a neighborhood? We explored that topic in our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, make sure to check out episode number 10, where the gospel meets gentrification. Right now, I'm the only one on my street coming home at Trader Joe's bags. I think they changed too much too fast. Whose responsibility is it to help a community thrive? You have certain people in this country, they can take what they want at any time. Even if they're one of the bad neighbors, I don't want them to go. Subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search for Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now you've got problems. You've Got Problems is a game. It's based off of a real game by Jack Dyer. And for our listeners, you can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. Uh, word of warning, though, if you do play it, you'll want to go through and censor some of the cards before you play it in mixed company. Okay, Nikki, so here's how you play. For each round, Sam and I are going to each present you with two cards. And these cards have, like, wonderful, useful, just plain awesome things on them. You're going to choose which perks you would like to have in real life. So, however, before you choose, Sam and I are actually going to sabotage each other's perks with a problem. So whichever perks you choose, you also will have to choose the problem that comes with them. So after we sabotage, you have to choose which set of perks and problem you would go for in real life. Whoever's set of perks you choose gets a point. We'll do three rounds. Best out of three wins. Are you ready? I'm in. Okay. Okay. Uh, Ladies first. Okay, Nikki, I have the best life for you. So you have now front row tickets to every concert that you'd ever want to see again. And you'll never experience anxiety again. That's what I've got for you. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) If that's your thing, that's fine. I've got better stuff for you. So I'm offering that you will have super speed. So I I picked up, you like to run, correct? Mm, I do. Yeah, okay. So you have super speed, meaning you can can run your your runs faster or farther because you're going so fast. Uh, Second, you will never feel fear again. We're both offering her some nice uh, <laughs> some uh, anxiety living. and fear-free lives. So, Nikki, Jesse's life sounds pretty okay, you know, with the the fast speediness and the fearlessness. But with that, you have the hiccups every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So Sam is offering that you will have front row tickets to every concert and that you'll never experience anxiety again. But there is a problem. And the problem is that any vehicle that you're in only goes two miles per hour. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an easy one. Oh, which one? What's What is it? Oh, I would much rather have the hiccups every day than go through life at two miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yes. Um, I mean, wait, wait. So does that mean? So I got the point then. So wait. Now oh, I man. got the point. Dang it. 
So you sabotage me yeah. well. Dang it. I sabotage okay. you well. So point to me. <laughs> I love that you had a false celebration though, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> okay, round two. Okay, here we go. Here, here are the perks I'm offering you. Perk number one, you are always on vacation. Uh, perk number two, this is a good one. You can transfer your pain to another person of your choice. Oh, wow, that's just rude. Okay, Nikki, don't pick that one because I've got the better life for you. So you are no longer required to sleep. So you no longer require sleep. So you can just work all the day, all the time. There's 24 hours now that you don't have to be settled resting. So perk number two, you can accomplish any task related to your employment by just snapping your fingers. So no more laborious tasks at work. You can just snap your fingers and all the boring spreadsheets and stuff that you have to probably do are done. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Okay, so it is true that Sam's offering you these nice perks that you no longer require sleep and that you can accomplish any task related to your employment by snapping your fingers. But there is a major problem. And the major problem is if you laugh, you die. Oh, no. (laughs) This took a dark turn. (laughs) Okay. Jesse offered you endless vacation days and the ability to sabotage others with inflicting pain on them, but you can only survive underwater. (laughs) Oh, wow. So so which one is it going to (laughs) be? And I'm assuming that underwater I am able to actually breathe, etc. Yeah, you only can survive underwater. Okay. So you, I guess, become <sighs> yeah, amphibious. The, the, yeah, the problem is actually oxygen. Yeah. Coming out, out of the water is your problem. This is, a, this is a tricky one for me because on the perk, it's an easy win for Sam. You know, the no sleep and the snapping of my fingers to get all boring tasks yeah. done, that's an easy win. Yeah. But laughing... Am I willing to give up laughing? I mean, that's the question, really. Um, I, this, got, this got existential real fast. Yes, I, I think I am going to risk laughter. So I will go with a life of no sleeping and snapping my fingers. Yay. And I will risk laughing under my breath and smiling like a Cheshire cat. I did not see that coming. I was positive. Okay. An underwater life, Ladies and gentlemen, so we have a tied game. Yes. Unfortunately, the idea of transferring pain to somebody else is well, an incentive, right? Because it's mean. Yes. Even transferring <laughs> boredom. I mean, I, I'm just always trying to avoid pain. So inflicting it on somebody else. Maybe I'm nicer than I thought. <laughs> Okay, Sam, I'll let you go first. Okay, this time. Nikki, all of your travel is now first class and free, and you're best friends with your favorite celebrity. Ooh. Okay, okay. Um, here are the perks that I'm offering you. You will never experience boredom again, and stoplights are always green for you. Okay. So, sure. Stop, stoplights are green. Boredom is a thing of the past. We get it. Great. But you'll never have any money again. Dang, that's cold. You just take all her cash. I did. All right. Well, all of your travels now first class and free and you're best friends with your favorite celebrity, but you have a problem. And the problem is that every week you must trade your teeth with a stranger. What? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's gross. <laughs> I, I haven't thought about the science and biology of it all, but uh, what I know is that one week she can have one smile, another week can have a different one. Um, I like the idea of never being bored and green stoplights. I think for me, it all boils down to the free travel. Having family in England and friends in New Zealand and family in Canada, I think I would risk greeting them with a different smile each time if I could travel free and first class. I knew it. Me and Nikki just have a bond. We do. I knew what she would like. Well, congratulations, Lamo. You won another game. <laughs> Thank you. Lamo's my name. I hope you're happy. Winning's my game. <laughs> well, okay. So, Nikki, we end each episode by answering questions from our listeners. And so we're going to do that now. This question comes from Elizabeth F. Simmons. She asks, what are some best practices to become aware of and to squelch the classic seven monkey mind? Oh, this is a good one because I have a lot of monkeys jumbling around in my brain. Um, For me, I've come to embrace the fact that not all monkeys are bad. They're not all trying to sabotage me. And rather than to try and squelch them, because I think they're more like zombies you know they're hard to kill and I think it's better to set them free so the way I do that is I constantly have a notebook or a voice memo on my phone that's available or I email myself but every time there's something going on in my head I get it out of my head and then I get to kind of evaluate it and so once you've got them all out and you've got them on paper or something you can say well, that monkey's a no-go. And that one, actually, that one's got a little bit of truth in it or a possibility. And then you can evaluate them a little bit more um, efficiently than when you're just trying to... I, I, love like, I love like how much more objective you can be. Like by the process of like writing it down and getting it out, like you can back up and go like objectively, is this helpful, not helpful? Like it's a little bit of like the ability to observe yourself, you know, but you got to get it out in order to be able to do that. And, and sevens are good at that. They're very good at being pragmatic and thinking about things logically. So, um, but not when it's all jumbled up. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's good. That's good. Okay, our next question comes from Sarah underscore knows underscore best. What is a way that sevens can combat the idea that they always need to be busy? This is a hard one because, you know, I think sevens have this fear of sitting still and fear of listening to those monkeys. So um, I would say one, write the monkeys down. And also, what I've started to do is set my downtime or my relaxing as an actual action. It's almost like I trick myself into relaxing. It's like, okay, at this point, I am going to relax, you know, and I schedule it in um, like any other activity. And then I'll go for a walk. I'll take a bubble bath. I'll, you know, sit in the garden purely for enjoyment. But it's, it's almost like I have to allow myself to rest and not be busy by actually making it an action. Yeah, that's clever. That's yeah. clever. Next question comes from Erin Nicole B underscore. She says, as a seven, what does movement toward five look like? How can I acknowledge my anxiety without being a bystander to it? 
again, it's this getting it out so we can reflect on it. You know, let's name those anxieties. What are we actually afraid of? And and I find that very difficult. Um, so I really have to to dig a bit. But what's real? What's false? You know, afraid that my child's going to get abducted by aliens is not really a plausible anxiety, but that they might run out in, in front of a, a car. Well, that's that's plausible. So let's deal with that and take actionable steps. And so I think part of it is getting it out there to reflect on and also taking it to God. You know, I, I used to hate the verse in Philippians 4, you know, do not be anxious about anything because I was like, yeah, right. You know, how on earth are we meant to do that? And then I heard a sermon really pull out just the four words in verse five that precede it, which is the Lord is near. And again, it goes back to this, his presence alleviating our fear. We cannot, we're able to not be anxious because he's near. And, um, you know, it goes on to say with prayer and thanksgiving. And so again, it goes back to this flipping the script and I get to rather than I have to. And then his peace guards our hearts and that's so we can move forward. So for me, it's this ongoing work in progress because I have not got there yet, but it's about naming them, what's real, what's false, taking it to God and just remembering that his presence is in it so we can actually move forward from consuming to contributing. Yeah, that's really good. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a lot of fun and we really appreciate just all the insight that you've brought. And I know our listeners are really going to benefit and appreciate everything that you've shared. You're welcome. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you to our guest today, Nikki Hardy. You can read Nikki's work or contact her about speaking by visiting NikkiHardy.com. You can pre-order her book, Breathe Again, How to Live Well When Life Falls Apart by going to Amazon.com. Her website is full of great advice, especially for sevens. Again, visit her online at Nikki Hardy. That's H-A-R-D-Y.com. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry, who trains Sam and I in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or for a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and the Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.